0: It's been said already, it's great to see you all here this morning. Happy you made the choice to come and worship with us, and especially if you're visiting with us today, we're especially happy to see you here and hope that what I have to say this morning can be helpful to you in some way. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning verse number 13, it says that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? A few months ago, I think it was back in July of last year, I gave a sermon uh, entitled, You Must Decide. And that sermon talked about the nature of how we view Jesus. Do we view Jesus um, as he is, as the son of God and the creator of the universe? Or do we view him in another way in our lives that makes it easier for us to live in, in different ways? You know, a lot of people in the world, we talked about view Jesus, as many things. Some say he was a myth created by man. Some say he was a charlatan who duped his followers into believing a lie. Maybe he was a madman. Or some say he was just a wise teacher, a prophet, a worker of miracles, or just a good man. We also talked about how that many people stop short of naming Jesus as the Son of God because it's more comfortable. The implications of that belief that he's the Son of God would lead them to have to live their life in a certain way. And it's much easier just to say, well, Jesus was just a good man and a wise teacher. But we also talked about how that Jesus didn't claim to be just a good man. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, the bread of life, the light of the world, the great I am, the door to heaven, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, the true vine, the king of kings, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. And so for us to say that Jesus was just a good man or a prophet completely contradicts what Jesus said about himself. Jesus claimed to be the creator of the universe made flesh. He claimed to be the great I am. And so in that sermon we talked about either Jesus is God or he's a fraud. Because a good man would never claim the things he claimed if they were not true. C.S. Lewis said either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So we have to decide in our lives who Jesus is. Is Jesus the son of God as he claims? If he's not, he's either a fraud and a liar or he's a madman. And we have to make that choice in our own lives. To further that thought this morning, I didn't intend to make this a two-part lesson, but this kind of flows into what I want to talk about this morning. And that is taking a look at a few characters that we see in the New Testament, specifically people who had a very close and personal relationship with Jesus and kind of how they viewed him while he was on this earth and maybe how that, that view changed over time. And specifically learn from their example and maybe learn from a few of the mistakes that they made as well. And hopefully it can help us come to this conclusion of who Jesus is and how we need to view him in our lives. The first person I want to talk about this morning is the Apostle Peter. Peter is a pretty interesting guy. We often view him in the context of the later part of the New Testament as, um, you know, the one who brought the gospel to both the Jews and the Gentiles. um, The day of Pentecost in Acts 2, the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Uh, He was instrumental in establishing the church in Jerusalem and beyond. Um, he wrote two books in the New Testament. So we, we see P- Peter a lot in that way. But Peter began his life with Jesus as a, as a fervent but rather um, impetuous young man, if you will. He often made decisions that were rash, um, often spoke hastily in certain situations, often not considering the consequences of those things. Um, he was very zealous in his service to Jesus. Um, But that zeal led him to a lot of times to have a misunderstanding of of what was going on at particular times in his life. And I think the Scriptures bear that out. You know, as we read the opening verse this morning, Jesus asking the apostles, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He told him, and they said, Well, who do you say that I am? It says that Peter answered and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I don't want to take this away from Peter this morning because I believe he told the truth here and I believe he truly believed Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus blessed him for his statement of, or confession here of faith. I don't want to take that away at all because I truly believe that Jesus, that Peter thought that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah, that he was the Son of God. What I question a little bit is whether or not Peter truly understood what that meant at this point. And I think the Scriptures we'll read following this will bear that out. Peter truly believed that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah. Jesus blessed him for that. Upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But Peter, I believe at this point in his life, was still thinking about carnal things. He was still thinking about a physical and earthly kingdom of Israel that he thought that Jesus was going to rule. If you skip on down later in this, in this chapter... It says from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. So Jesus began at this point to teach it, talk to his disciples about it's going to come a time when I have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised the third day. Notice Peter's response to this. It says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He rebuked the Lord and said, Lord, far be it from you. This shall not happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you're an offense to me. Think about this for just a minute. As Peter approaches the Lord, Jesus is trying to teach them, This is what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised again. Peter said, Not on my watch. This is not going to happen. Why was Peter saying this? Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. Why did he say that? He said, You're not mindful of the things of God, but of things Of men, Peter was still thinking carnally. He was still looking at Jesus as the Messiah, but the Messiah that was going to sit on the literal throne of David in the city of Jerusalem. That's what he thought. And so for him to say, no, it's not going to happen, Lord. You're not going to be killed. That's what he was standing up for. Jesus said, you're not mindful of the things of God. You're not thinking about the resurrection I've been talking about. You're just concentrating on the death. And he wasn't thinking spiritually. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 31, as they're at the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples that you will all be made to stumble because of me this night. He told the disciples, you're all going to scatter. You're going to flee when I'm I'm taken. And Peter Peter said, not me. He says, I will never be made to stumble. Even if all are made to stumble, because even if everybody else at this table leaves, I'm going to stay with you, Lord. And Jesus told him before the caught crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, nope, won't be me. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Peter's confidence was at its highest level. He was willing to go to battle for the Lord. In fact, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, the Bible tells us that Peter drew his sword and started hacking. He was ready to go to battle. I think it's interesting to think about this concept and Measured up against what we're going to talk about here in a minute. Peter was willing to go. To, he was willing to die. He wasn't lying when he said this. He pulled out the sword and went after it. But Jesus said, put your sword away. And he was taken by the soldiers. Now, what do we find later in this chapter? Peter sat outside in the courtyard. The servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're saying. What happened? To I'll die with you. What happened to all that? Again, they came and said, hey, you were with Jesus. He again denied with an oath. An oath is a promise. I do not know the man. Again, a little later, they came up and said, hey, your your speech betrays you. You're one of the Galileans. You were with Jesus. He began to curse and to swear and saying, I do not know the man. How does a man get to that point? Immediately the rooster crowed, and he went out and wept bitterly. You know, a lot of times we watch, Becca likes to watch those Dateline shows that show the husband killing the wife, the wife killing the husband, thinking they can get away with it. And we always ask, "How how does a person get to that point? Someone that you stood in front of a crowd of people with and pledged your life to and promised to them and to God that I'll cherish you and love you and take care of you. How do you get to the point that you can literally stab them in the back? How does a person get there? How did Peter get here? A man going from, the Lord, I'm, you're not going to be taken. I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to die with you. How did he get from there to here? I don't know the man. Cursing and swearing and making oaths. To me, the only explanation is that he was still thinking carnally. He was willing to fight with Jesus. He was willing to go to battle for an earthly kingdom. You know, Jesus told told Pilate, if my kingdom were this earth, my servants would fight for me. That's what Peter wanted to do. He wanted to fight. But Jesus said, put down your sword. Jesus let them take him. And here's Peter left wondering, what now? And part of me wonders if Peter was making these statements. I don't know the man. I wonder if he really thought that. I don't know the man that I've been with for three years. This isn't the way it's supposed to go. This isn't what's supposed to happen. Jesus isn't supposed to die. He was still thinking carnally. In John chapter 21, after Jesus was resurrected, somebody the other day was talking about this story as Jesus appeared to the disciples as they had gone out to go fishing. And he called to them and told them to let the net down on the other side. And they pulled in so many fish they couldn't get it into the boat Later on, it says, after they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Why was Peter grieved? Was he just sick and tired of Jesus asking the same question over and over? Nah. He was grieved because of what he had done. He was grieved because he had denied the Lord three times. And so when the Lord asked him three times, do you love me? He knew what he was talking about. He was grieved because of the decision he had made to deny the Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then do my work. Understand what I'm all about. Go out and preach the gospel. Go out and feed my sheep. It's not about a physical kingdom, it's not about setting up a throne. It's about saving souls, it's about winning the lost. At any cost. I believe this was a turning point for Peter. I believe it was at this point that Peter finally started to understand there's more to this than just a kingdom. There's more to this than simply a physical and carnal ambition. There's so much more on the line. And so I believe that's why Peter, the man who just a few days ago was saying and cursing and swearing, I do not know the man. In Acts chapter 2, just a little bit later, was able to say, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that that he should be held by it. The man that just a few days ago was saying, I do not know the man, was saying, I do know the man, and I want to tell you about him. He's the son of God. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He died on the cross. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. That's why I believe that if anyone knew who Jesus was, it was Peter. A man who was so zealous, but so misguided in some ways, and finally came to the truth that Jesus was the son of God. How does a man get to that point? From going to the man that denies to the man that proclaims. And the man that lays down his life like many of the apostles did. How do they get to that point? It's very simple. They believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Men don't die for a lie. They don't die for something that's not true. They die for what they're convicted of and believe in. And if anyone knew who Jesus was, it was Peter. Number two, the Apostle John. I suppose that if Jesus had a best friend while he was on earth, it was the Apostle John. As John wrote his gospel, whenever he referenced himself, he talked about himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm not going to read all these scriptures here this morning for the sake of time. But when he referred to himself, he, he referred to himself as that disciple that Jesus loved. And he talks about that at the end of the book. He, he says, paraphrasing, you know, the person who testifies of this is that disciple. And some people might think, well, that was kind of arrogant for him to say he, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. But I think it was sort of a sign of humility that he wasn't naming his name all throughout the book, his own book. Um, at any rate, we, we do see that Jesus had a special relationship with John. I often I often think about, well, what was that like, you know, to actually be with Jesus and to be probably what was his best friend on this earth? You know, I think of what I do with my friends. Did, did Peter, and, or excuse me, did John and Jesus go out fishing together and spend time together like that? And what, a, what a blessing it must have been for John to have that very special and unique relationship with Jesus. We read in John chapter 19, verse 26, as Jesus is hanging on the cross. It says, he saw his, ma- his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing by. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. It's it's amazing to me that as Jesus hung on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, waging the war against sin, paying the price for my sin. As that battle was raging, he still took the time. And it meant something to him to look down to see the two people on earth that probably mattered more to him than Or as much to him as anybody else. And he loved them. He wanted them taken care of. He loved his mother. Wanted John to take care of her. Wanted his mother to love John as a son. And we see that that happened. John took Mary into his home and and loved her as a mother. What an amazing relationship that must have been. And I think about John and his relationship with Jesus. And I wonder how did he view him? Did he always view Jesus as just his best friend? Or did he, was he able to view him as something more than that? We read in Revelation chapter 1 as John begins to receive his vision as he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. It says in verse 12 that when I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned and saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band, his head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. As John turns to see the voice that's speaking to him, he sees his best friend. But it's not his best friend anymore. It's this glorified image of Christ. And which I'm sure this description really doesn't even do justice. What did John do when he saw his best friend? Did he walk up and embrace him? Shake his hand? Give him one of them bro hugs that we do? So we don't have to get too close? Did he do that? No. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He passed out in fear. He saw his best friend, but it wasn't his best friend. It was the glorified son of God. And I fell at his feet as dead. I passed out. I think at this point, for sure, John knew that Jesus was more than just his best friend. He knew that he was something more than that. Jesus put his hand on him and said, Don't be afraid. And I think it's interesting to think about that relationship. Did John ever view Jesus as more than just a best friend? I believe he did. You know, some people, some scholars believe that John wrote his gospel after having this vision. I don't know whether or not that's true. I haven't taken the time to put in the study or not. Uh, I like to think that it's true because when you read the book of John, there's certainly a lot of emphasis placed on the deity of Christ and, and the fact that He is the Son of God and, and the fact that He is a man, but also that He truly is the Son of God and the, the divine nature that's there. And as you begin the book of John, He says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, John, if he just saw Jesus as a best friend, he could have said, you know, I once knew a man. I knew a man that, that came to earth, and he was a good friend of mine. He was my best friend. I spent some time with him. He taught me a lot of things. I learned a lot. And I watched him die. And his dying request was for me to take care of his mom and she to love me like a son. And I did that. That's not how John started his letter. He says, Jesus was the word of God made flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't focus on the friend. He focused on the Savior. He focused on the fact that he was the son of God. And if anybody knew who Jesus was, it was John. If I could get my clicker to work here. You know, I think a lot of times we view Jesus, we talk about Jesus being our friend, and He is our friend. But I hear some people make the statement, oh, Jesus is my homeboy, or something like that. And I just want to shake my head at that. Jesus isn't our homeboy, Jesus is the Son of God. And certainly He is a friend to us for what He's done, He's paid the price for our sin, He's died on the cross. And yes, we can have a relationship with him, but we need to always keep in mind who he really is. If John, the man who actually lived around him and was a friend to him, can put that aside and realize who Jesus really is, then so can we. I'm having a hard time with my clicker this morning. Finally, I want to talk about Mary. If we're thinking about people who had unique relationships with Jesus, then we have to talk about Mary. And considering how important her role is or was, very little is written about her. We know very little about her life in detail. But we have to talk about her if we're talking about people who had unique relationships with Jesus. Now, to venerate and elevate Mary... To a demigod, as some religions do, would be folly, of course. I don't want to do that this morning. But to completely ignore her example, her faith, I think would be just as foolish. I think there's a lot that we can learn from Mary and her relationship with Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, as the angel appeared to her, it said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's hard to imagine what must have been going through Mary's mind as she got this message from this angel. As a man, it's hard to even understand what it's like to bear a child, much less that child being the Son of God. And let's lay aside the social implications of all this. The fact that she was going to bear a child out of wedlock and have to deal with all the consequences of that. But the fact that it was the Son of God. The fact that her child would truly not be her own. That she was, in some ways, just a deliverer of a message. I don't know if she truly understood what that meant to her. What do you say to something like that? My thought would be, find somebody else for this job. I don't want it. But Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And I don't know that she truly understood what she was getting into here. She understood what it meant to be the mother of Jesus and what she would have to give up, what he would have to give up. But she was willing and able. It's no coincidence or toss of the coin that Jesus chose Mary. It says that she had found favor in the sight of God. She was a good person, a person of faith, and she was willing to undertake the task of raising the Son of God. We find that when Jesus is 12 years old, his family had made the journey to Jerusalem to, to worship, and as they're on their way home, Jesus stays behind. And the family looks for him for three days, and they finally come back. They find him in the temple talking to To everyone there and asking questions and teaching and and going back. Everybody was amazed at how much this this 12-year-old boy knew. And it says, when his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. They were worried about him, just like any parent would be. How many times have you said that to your kids or had it said to you when you were a kid? Why did you do that? I was worried about you. I got lost one time when when we were in the mall when I was a little kid and I... I was kind of scared for a while. Mom, why did you do that? Why did you go away from me? And just yesterday or the day before, I was driving down to, to go to a camp out, and Mom called me on the phone. Are you watching the weather? I'm like, yeah, Mom. I'm 43 years old. I'm watching the weather. You know, She's like, I know. I know. Someday you'll understand what it's like. I'm, i got kids. I know what it's like. It's fine. Don't <laughs> worry about it. I'll probably always do it. That's okay. Our parents worry about us. That's the kind of relationship. Jesus had a normal relationship with his parents. They were worried sick about him. And so then it says in the next verse, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all things. Jesus was subject to his parents. Just like any child was supposed to be. We know that because he had no sin in his life. He did what he was supposed to in regard to the authority of his parents. We see a few years later, Right before Jesus begins his ministry, it says on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When they they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. You know, as we think about this, this wedding that, that, that they're at, Jesus and his disciples are there. So Jesus is probably around 30 years old when this happens. And so we see, he still has a relationship with his mother. He's still around her, and we look at his reply to her: "Woman, what does your concern have to do to me?" We read that in in terms that we look at as disrespectful. You know, if mom if mom came in the house when I was a kid and said, "Hey, your bedroom is a mess," if I said to her, "Woman, what does that have to do with me?" Uh, (laughs) She's going to go grab a belt out of the closet. But, you know, that was, there was nothing disrespectful in this. Jesus was just telling her, listen, this, my time has not yet come. It's not time for me to reveal myself and, and all that. Um, but yet Mary says, goes to the servants and says, hey, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. You know, she didn't come out and tell him to do it, but she's his mama. He made the wine. And so the first recorded miracle we read of is not healing the lame or the sick or the blind, but making wine for the, for the wedding. Jesus still had a great respect for his mother. They still had a a relationship. And when the Scriptures bear that out. Even though we don't have a lot of details, I love the little little things that we see, the little peek that we have at their relationship. Let's fast forward about three years from this. Jesus has been falsely accused. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been spat upon has been scourged to the point of death. And his hands and his feet have been nailed to a cross. And his life is slowly draining away. I want you to think about that in terms of, of your children, if you have any. And how you would feel watching that happen to them. <clears throat> John chapter 19, verse 25 now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother his mother's sister Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene Think about just think about the magnitude of that statement hanging from that cross and there stood by that cross his mother We all know what the next verse says right And Mary said to the soldiers and to Pilate take him down don't hurt him anymore. That's my baby. He didn't he didn't do anything wrong. He hasn't hurt anybody. He's crazy. He's not the son of God. Just stop hurting my baby. You know as well as I do that's not what she said. Mary stood by the cross of Jesus and said nothing. Not a word. Why? Because if anybody knew who Mary was, who Jesus was, it was Mary. She was willing. The silence of Mary is the greatest testimony of who Jesus was. If he was anything else than what he claimed to be, Mary is just like any mother and screaming and crying for them to leave her baby alone. Didn't say a word. The silence of Mary is one of the greatest acts of faith we read of in the Bible. Matthew chapter 27, verse 22. Pilate said, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. I ask you the question this morning What will you do with Jesus who is called Christ? How do you view Jesus? Do you view him as someone who gives you the opportunity to have physical blessings in this life? Like Peter did? Do we think carnally? Do we look at him like maybe John did at one point as his best friend? A good friend who's there to help us out of hard times? Who's there to forgive us? Or do we view him as he truly is? The word of God made flesh who dwelt among us. Do we behold his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father? Is he God or is he a fraud? If you're subject to the gospel call this morning, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.